Greetings and welcome to another episode of Marshmallow Sunday Pie, a show where two bumbling brothers couldn't even agree on an intro, so this is what you get. My name is Love and I'm here once again with my brother and co-host Logan. What are we drinking tonight, brother? Tonight we're drinking a pour of Basil Hayden's Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey, a spicy smooth high rye whiskey. Going forward though, I really need to put some more effort into some creative cocktails uh, for the show rather than just draining my whiskey cabinet. <laughs> creative cocktails. I like the sound of that. That's like a, oh man, that's a shirt or, oh, we should have named the podcast that, Creative Cocktails. I think I think we're good with Marshmallow Sunday Pie. Yeah. It, it, it really hits it on the nose for what we're doing here. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So, shall we do a cheers, brother? Yeah, cheers to getting through the life of Aleister Crowley in four episodes or less. <laughs> cheers to wishful thinking. All right. So, how was the honeymoon in the land of Ire, brother? That was good, actually. We uh, traveled around the southern coast of Ireland, um, got to check out quite a few different locales, went to four or five different distilleries that came back with four bottles of whiskey and a bottle of gin. Isn't that like a... Extradition or something? Isn't that extradition? Against, no, against. You mean when customs. you banish somebody from your country? You banish the whiskey from <laughs> Ireland. No, no, that word escaped me. No, isn't that against customs or something? No, Liquor? you actually get a total of five liters per person. Oh wow! That you can bring back with you. Oh yeah. wow, that's awesome. I'm pretty sure Ireland put that rule in place so they can continue to export tourism. You know what? That <laughs> makes it. Why else go to Ireland, right? That's it's a no. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of good history, but. The whiskey is a big portion of it. Whiskey and leprechauns. Whiskey. And we saw in Ireland, we saw a post that said leprechaun crossing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then uh, just to give a quick story of something that we thought was very interesting. We were driving from uh, Cork. No, sorry. We were driving from Kenmere to Port McGee. Mm-hmm. Going to check out a, a local distillery that, that just recently started up in Port McGee. And I think everybody should check it out. It's Port McGee whiskey very good whiskey uh very good company and what they're trying to do but with that uh on the way there we passed a probably you know 500 year old wall that had in gold letters written on it holy well with an arrow pointing to a hole in the wall so we pulled over <laughs> i don't trust that for the life of yeah it could have been a fairy could have been a fairy trap but we pulled over <laughs> headed down there uh and found this holy well there was this natural wellspring under a uh, old oak tree that was just flowing out into the ocean really yeah it was very that sounds beautiful yeah it was it was really cool are you sure you weren't just like drugged and somebody took your kidney or something i mean no but (laughs) we'll see oh that's really cool though so we left off last time about halfway through well Maybe a third of the way through, I guess. Yeah, possibly a quarter of the way through. <laughs> right. Uh, so we're jumping back into the titillating tale of Alistair Crowley. Now, I know it isn't spooky October anymore, but we're really excited for this episode, and we hope you are as well. I mean, I know I am. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So you want to jump into it? Yeah, so to preface this episode, uh, this is going to be a whirlwind. There's a lot that happens in a very short amount of time, so just be prepared for that. Okay, so a lot more than what has happened previously. Well, yes. So previously we discussed a large portion of Aleister Crowley's life, right? We we took him from birth to roughly his 20s. Right. We're going to go through about four years. Okay. 
Yeah, so we're uh, there's a lot that happens in these. So four he years. died at 24, then, right? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately not, <laughs> okay. not for us. Well, maybe um, five episodes. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll certainly see. Um, but so last episode we ended with uh, Crowley joining the Second Order of the Golden Dawn. Right. So to understand the Second Order a little better, you need to understand that there would be no Second Order without the Secret Chiefs. Okay. The Secret Chiefs are cosmic authorities. Uh, they have vast knowledge of magic and the cosmos. Very few have the ability to communicate with the secret chiefs. A connection and ability that Mathers claimed to have. So if you remember Mathers from the first episode, right. he was the leader of the Golden Dawn. Right. Mathers claimed to have and one Crowley longed for. He also pined for the ability to transcend into the highest ranks of the Golden Dawn and pass into the realm where there is no good and evil. A mystical realm where all is one. This was the third order uh, where the secret chiefs resided. Oh, so the secret chiefs were like in the UK, basically. Uh, well, I think when you're talking about like cosmic entities, yeah, I don't think like they're, they're, the the third order isn't like a physical location within the oh, UK. Oh, gotcha. The third order is like the transcended. Oh, okay. Yeah. When you said it, I thought I thought you meant the third order was like an actual place. That's why I was confused because no. you said the the secret chiefs were like cosmic entities, and then you're like, and then the third yeah, order, you know, and the I'm cosmic like, entities down the street. Yeah. Well, I thought they might be like uh, you know like a sun god from Egypt or something, where it's just like the emperor, you know. <laughs> no, so yeah, so uh, apologies. No, these the, the third order would be transcending into that realm. Oh, got of uh, vast knowledge where there is no good and evil. So what's the first order? So the first order is like your initiate order, right? So this is just kind of learning about the Golden Dawn. This is before you get to any of the magics. This is more um, literary. Okay. Uh, this is poetry and uh, things along that line. And that's what Crowley was in. Started in. And then he went to he see Mathers. Correct. And then And then he got pulled in. Well, he got into the second Promoted order. Promoted into the second order. And then, okay, Correct. got it. Okay. Um, so now, as we talked about last episode, the members of the British chapter of the Golden Dawn were not happy with Crowley. Uh, they were even less happy after his promotion to the Second Order, as well as starting to question the leadership of Mathers. Uh, this fracture in the Golden Dawn led to a full-blown conflict uh, in April 1900 between Mathers, Crowley, and the British chapter of the Golden Dawn. Yeah, this, this, beca this later became known as the Battle of Bly the Road. Uh, Crowley and, and an initiate named Elaine Simpson, along with a hired bouncer from a local pub. A, just a, just, just some a, bouncer. Just a, Crowley went to a local pub and hired a bouncer. Said we need some muscle. Exactly. <laughs> so with this hired bouncer, they descended on 36 Bly the Road. They had come to take possession of the vault of Christian Ros Rosenkrantz, uh, a seven-sided room based off the tomb of the founder of the Rosicrucians, used for ritualistic purposes. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's intense stuff. It, it is, right? It's very intense stuff. It's slightly less intense when you think about the fact that he hired a bouncer from the pub down the street yeah. to go in and uh, push people around. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it makes sense. Everybody needs some muscle to enact their their vision or their uh, or their sides of things. Their... No, yeah, of course. You, you got to have some muscle to back it up. Yeah. Um, and now I will say, to me, this is something that should have been uh, and I think was expected to be by Crowley and the people involved, mm -hmm. uh, a great battle of magicians, you know, throwing their power around, manipulating reality. These were 
magic users of the second order of the Golden Dawn. But at the end, it just turned out to be very mundane. Uh, an exchange of words that ended with local law enforcement pulling Crowley out of the building. Uh, just very underwhelming, in my opinion. The best part of this ultimately earthly dispute was that Crowley returned to Mathers, declaring his mission a success. Saying he had dispatched with the rebel group of the uh, the British chapter of the Golden Dawn, and that they now had control over this seven-sided Rashikrushian temple. Well, there you go. I mean, twisting words, that's, uh, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's twisting words. I would say that's lying. <laughs> I mean, was it, what words was did he it twi- a failure? Did, yes. It was a failure? He didn't get the temple. The cops kicked him out. But he didn't lose the temple. He, I would say he did. I don't, <laughs> why are you defending Crowley? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I've usually been anti-Crowley. I'm not sure why. I'm defending I mean, let's stick to the anti-Crowley. Okay. <laughs> the anti-Crowley. There's Ant- got to be a pro-Crowley somewhere. And, oh, there's a lot of pro-Crowleys. Uh, but after his return to Mathers, he too, uh, and I think this plays back into the idea that con- Crowley's mind is constantly moving. Uh, he has an inability to focus on anything for any real amount of time. Started to dislike Mathers. Uh, he saw him as a moron. At this time, Mathers was deceived by an American con woman who Mathers gave access to high-level Golden Dawn rituals. Uh, and she ended up running off to Africa to start her own occult religion. So, so Crowley goes to Mathers, says, the first order is being mean to me. I want to be in the second order. And then Mathers goes, yeah, you right. And then he they, they have this like little conflict that goes down Crowley loses. He goes to Mathers. He's like, hey, I beat him. And, Crow- and Mathers is like, yeah, you're right. And then Crowley's just sitting there basically going, this guy's an idiot. He believes everything I tell him. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, this lady conned him. Yeah, I'm conning yeah, him. Yeah. This guy This guy can't be real. Exactly. He's like, man, I. it's like pulling... It's, it's like taking candy from a baby. I don't know. Some other easy expression that I can't think of. I, taking candy from a baby is a pretty good one. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so Crowley believed uh, the secret chiefs had abandoned Mathers. Uh, and doing the same, Crowley decided that he would uh, need to seek direction elsewhere. For some reason, Crowley made the decision that it was too late to go back to the lock to finish his Abramelin. I, I looked it up. I looked up the pronunciation. Abramelin. Abramelin is the pre- correct pronunciation. pronunciation hmm. uh, ritual. Once again, putting off acquiring his guardian angel. I don't understand why... He just constantly just goes, I can't do that right now. But he just, I mean, you know, maybe he was kind of in denial of death and he just didn't really care well, no, it, With the guardian angel, it wasn't even a death thing. It was like, it was it was that first step into the, the third order. Oh. It's that connection to the cosmos, the secret chiefs, uh, the esoteric. It's like this entity that can help you become one with magic. Well, he got let down by Mathers, right? By having seeing other people fool Mathers, him fooling Mathers. Maybe he's like, that's the leader of the second order. What if I do this whole third order thing and they suck too? Maybe. Maybe he's just like, I don't really need it. Yeah. But, but we see that he, he continually puts himself in this position where he blames others and circumstance for not continuing his, his uh, drive for that holy guardian angel. Every time he turns around, it's like, I can't do that this time. Or I don't have enough time. Or this happened and now I'm a little put off by it. It's it's very strange to me. <laughs> yeah, that is strange. He, he had time to go 
hire a bouncer and have yeah, this yeah, little he had time conflict. to go like have a brawl at a at a <laughs> yeah. ritual temple, but he doesn't have time to like hang out at the lock right. and perform the Ab- Abramelin to get his holy guardian angel, I which mean, is like this big ascending thing. That sounds peaceful to me. I mean, just right? hang out by a log, chill for a while, and get your uh, you know get get your guardian guardian angel. I'd be down for that. I agree. Yeah. I, I just I feel like if if he just put some effort into this. <laughs> He could get it accomplished because we see Crowley. If you just put some effort into your life, <laughs> get it together, Crowley. <laughs> but we see time and time again that like Crowley is good at this, mm-hmm. right? No matter where he goes, he seems to like move to the top of the food chain very quickly. And then just in this one thing, he refuses to get it done, and it's really frustrating. <laughs> I keep reading through this book. And I keep doing this research. I'm like, God, would you just get it together and get your holy guardian angel already? You're, you're like a frustrated like viewer watching a TV I am. show it's or like something a, it's on a Netflix. Sitcom that never pays off. Yeah, or just like like a fantasy thing on Netflix where they keep having like an impending doom or something. And you're like, when is it gonna happen? When is the doom? You just keep putting it off and putting it off. So instead of doing that. Uh, just two months after attempting to overthrow the Golden Dawn within Britain, he decided he would head to Mexico through way of New York. Uh, Crowley arrived in New York in early July. He did not like it. He said it was too hot, it was too muggy, and it was too dirty. Uh, he lingered for about three days and he left. Mexico or New York? New York. Okay. Yep. And he went to Mexico. Yep. He jumped from on where a train. New York was hot and muggy. Yep. Jumped okay. on a train and headed to the southern border. Okay. Uh, now, Crowley, being the pompous Englishman that he is, uh, didn't immediately take well to Mexico. <laughs> uh, said the food was too spicy. Mm. Uh, the hotel service didn't live up to his standards. Uh, and he didn't enjoy the local spirits. You, you know, fucking white people, especially, <laughs> especially from the early 1900s. God, I'm just going to go to New York. Oh, this place sucks. And no, I'm going to go to Mexico. Oh, man, this place sucks. Like it, it's yeah. yeah. I guess I mean that's just Crowley, uh he his inability to really uh kind of I don't know, I think be satisfied with life. And we see that going forward is he just he will get in, he, he will get himself into a position where things are going smoothly. Mm-hmm. Right, he's he's on. I would say the right side of life. You know, he's 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 living it up. He's he's got what he wants, and then all of a sudden he turns around. And he's like, "Yeah, this kind of sucks. I'm gonna go somewhere else." Yeah, you know, one thing that I think would be a little interesting is: do you think, do you think if he was like in Mexico doing his own thing, and not in, enjoying the local cuisine, just kind of like making his own food, hunting maybe. I don't know if that's a thing he did, but a lot of people he actually back did, in that he, time. He did hunt a lot. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people back in that time, they did hunt. You know, you, do you think if he was doing that and just like Mexico was the location, he wouldn't have as much of an issue? So do you think it, the issue lies with like the Mexican culture? Or well, do you... no, actually. So we see that, I mean, it took, it took him some time, but he ended up taking up residence in Mexico City. Uh, discovering that he may be more connected to the city than he previously expected. Hmm. Uh, Stating that bullfighting, cockfighting, gambling, and lechery made him feel very at home. Yeah, I I get that. (laughs) So I I think it was the initial maybe not culture shock, but I just locale shock. Right. You know, I mean, I experienced the same thing in Ireland. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of pub food in Ireland. Yeah. That's 
really all you can get your hands on if you're not cooking your own food is pub food. They don't got Taco Bells? No Taco Bells. Really? They had a McDonald's. They had to have a Taco there Bell was in not like a single, There was not a single Taco Bell. No way. Swear to God. I'm going to look that shit up right Look now. it up. Okay. Well, not right now. Okay. But, <laughs> right. We're but doing it was that, it's that thing of you, know, you go to a new place and you expect a certain thing and there's just kind of nothing. Right. Where I enjoyed it with Ireland. Yes. Crowley didn't with Mexico. Right. But once he got into the... Co- <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm saying culture with big air quotes here. This is what Crowley stated was the culture of Mexico, not what Logan is stating is the culture of Mexico. But once he got into the bullfighting, cockfighting, gambling, and lechery, he started to enjoy himself. Right. Yeah. Again, Crowley, not Logan. I don't know. They the, those words came out of your mouth, so they did. I'm gonna in, attribute them to you. Um, and again, I I don't know how he meets these people. Maybe at the time. There was just more people that were... I, I think at the time there were more people involved in like the esoteric. Oh, yeah, for but sure. while in Mexico City, he runs into a high-ranking mason. Really? Yeah, named uh, Don Jesus Medina, who, impressed with Crowley's vast Kabbalistic knowledge, initiated him very quickly into the highest ranks of the Masonic degrees. Really? So, again, it's just this ability for Crowley to, like... Hi, how you doing? Let me be in the highest part of your order. Yeah, he's he's got a silver tongue, doesn't he? He he has to. He's got to have a silver tongue, maybe like beautiful eyes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But he's constantly just working his way into these orders. Okay, so now we're going to jump through a few things rather quickly. As I didn't feel it gave much information into his life or was all that entertaining to talk about. So I'm going to hit on what I think are some highlights. Got it. Okay. So this is when Crowley founded his first magical order. Okay. This was called the Lamp of Invisible Light, or LIL. Its goal being to have a temple of ever-burning light. Which, cool. But you can't see it, right? No, 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 it, you would. But yeah, the invisible light doesn't have anything to do with the ever-burning torch that's within that temple. Oh, really? Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, so, again, I was kind of like, cool, I guess. Yeah. He didn't accomplish it. There was no ever-burning light within the temple. Oh, really? They didn't even establish a temple. He just founded the magical order for it. Okay. Um, He also had passionate affairs with local women, who he said had very lustful, fiery eyes. Hmm. Um, He continued to practice his magic, gaining the power of invisibility. Really? That's what he claimed. The waiters at the local cafe said that he would prance around in full magical regalia, being invisible. So how did they see him? I think that's the point. Oh, okay. <laughs> the waiters weren't having any of it. The waiters were like, yeah, that's Crowley being invisible over there. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's Crowley. He's invisible. No, he's not. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. he is. I bet they gave him really extra spicy food from that I one. hope so. <laughs> um, but apparently Crowley, uh, Mexico was good for Crowley's magical work. He succeeded beyond his expectations. But again, this wasn't enough for him. He couldn't focus on the success and needed something else. He sent out a magical distress signal. And an answer, he says, bat came bat in... Bat, magical bat signal. Exactly. Thank just kind of... He sat there and just kind of went... <laughs> and then there was this big light in the sky. It was Crowley's head. Oh, that sounds scary, though. It, that does sound scary. Yeah, it's a little too scary. Was that the torch from the light from the temple he didn't create? If only. <laughs> Maybe uh, that's why he wanted the temple with the ever-burning light. It, so he it was a more bad signal. Yeah. Well, he seemed to do very well without the light. Okay. Because he did say that an answer came in the form of a letter from a man named George Jones. Uh, though we never find out what the letter said, 
during this time, uh, he ended up going, and this, and this is the early 1900s, 1901. Right. So we've gone from 1900 to 1901. Right. So from the quote-unquote overthrow of the Golden Dawn in Britain, going to New York, going to Mexico, establishing the LIL, it's been about a year. Okay. Less than. Um, but during this time, he spent his days mountain climbing. Uh, the 17,000 foot Pacatepetl. <laughs> I'm sure that's right. Pacatepetl. Uh, breaking climbing records and celebrating the death of Queen Victoria. She died at this time and he was very excited about it. He was not a very patriotic Briton. Hmm, okay. Um, after this, he headed to El Paso, Texas, where he saw a man get his eyes gouged out during a card game. Then to San Francisco, where he disliked the frenzy money making and frenzied pleasure seeking. Which you would think you he would, would like. You would think he would like that, right? Maybe he was like, maybe he was like mad, you know, like the, like the older brothers playing with the toy and he's not allowed to. So it's like it, he just he, he couldn't get into it. So yeah, he's, he's like, I don't. Everybody like this. else was doing it. He's like, that's my thing. That's maybe, my thing. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah. So from there, he decided to head to Waikiki, Hawaii. Oh, Waikiki. Yep. Back in the early 1900s. Yeah. So wow. Mexico, Texas, right? San Francisco. Waikiki, Hawaii. Uh, on his way here, he meets Mary Beaton, an older American woman who he had a rather heated sexual relationship with, uh, diverting himself to Japan to, con- to continue his escapades with Mary. Uh, she eventually leaves Crowley and returns to her husband. Uh, Crowley seemed upset by this and then blamed her for distracting him from his quest to acquire a holy guardian angel. Just do it already, Crowley. Jesus. That's what I mean. It keeps coming back. This is something he'd been doing to himself for years at this point. And he's like, that woman right there, it's her fault. You know what? These writers need to be fired. It's just a bad job. <laughs> All right. They keep hitting this point too hard at this show. Yeah. They really just need to either get rid of the plot point or have him complete it. Hey, guys, why uh, why didn't Crowley um, get the guardian angel this time? Oh, well, you know, he was with this woman and she left him for, for her husband. Oh, that's why. That's okay, why. Okay, we'll, we'll write bl- that we'll in. We'll blame it on that, yeah. <laughs> oh, so we continue on from there. From Japan, he goes to Hong Kong. From Hong Kong to India, where he reconnects with Bennett, the man who introduced him to the Golden Dawn. In India? In India. Randomly? Or do you think he like wrote on postcards or something? Well, remember, Bennett left the Golden Dawn to go become a Buddhist. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did not remember that. Yeah, so Bennett left the Golden Dawn to become a Buddhist in India. Okay. So his time in India, he meets back up with Bennett. Uh, Bennett had grown in his faith, and Crowley worked as an apprentice for Bennett for six weeks. Uh, in yoga and meditation. You know, I'd be down to be a Buddhist. I've thought about going to, like, Tibet and becoming a Buddhist monk. I just... Okay. Yeah. I oh. mean, who am I going to do the podcast with? Who says I can't do a podcast? I don't with... think Tibetan monks can do podcasts. Maybe I'll be a different monk. I'm not sure what monk community You just want to be a monk? Yeah. Do Be one of the monks that makes beer. Do monks make beer? Yo, hell yeah. Really? Belgian ale, man. Not like your. There's Belgium. Belgian ale. Belgian. Yeah. Are there Belgian monks? I'm pretty sure that's who makes the Belgian ales. The Belgian monks. Like Belgium or Belgian? Is, Is that there, the same thing? I think it's the same thing, brother. Belgians are people from Belgium. Sure. Okay. I it's don't not, even know where they're from. 
Yeah, Belgium but, is a but, country. But yes, monks make beer. Actually, monks were the first ones to make whiskey. Really? Yep. You would know that. I would know that. I learned that in Ireland. <laughs> oh, did you? Yes, Irish monks were the first ones to make whiskey. There was Irish monks. There, there, there's all kinds of monks. Anywhere there's a Catholic face, there's monks, man. Oh, yeah. See, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Buddhist monks. You said maybe another kind of monk. Well, I meant another kind of, like, because there's, like, Tibetan Buddhist monks, and then there's, like... Oh, my God. All right, so back to the story. <laughs> I just, so, like, think about doing yoga and, like... You can do yoga just, without like, being a monk. And doing, like, daily chores and You can do that without being a monk. But it'd be cooler if I was a monk. <laughs> so almost all of Crowley's knowledge of yoga and meditation come from this chi- this time with Bennett. Uh, this formed a large part of Crowley's magical ideas uh, of higher consciousness. From this point, Bennett decides to become a monk, and Crowley goes big game hunting. Uh, he then pretends to be a Hindu, dressed in a loincloth with a begging bowl, and tries to trick his way into a holy temple. Doesn't work. And I feel like this really plays into like that whole like eccentric vibe that Crowley has. Right. He's traveling all over the globe with little to no direction. He starts the LIL. He has these sort of like sexual romps with different women. Uh, takes deep dives into the esoteric yoga and meditation and goes big game hunting uh, India, religious impersonation, all within the span of a year. Like I said, like I said in the first episode, this man has led many lives, but none of them to any sort of conclusion. He constantly jumps from life to life with little fulfillment. Hmm. I mean, I bet he feels very fulfilled in the little bits and pieces. I, I don't think he does, because if he felt fulfilled, he wouldn't constantly be seeking fulfillment. I don't know. Well, yeah. Well, so that made that made me think, because, you know, for like somebody that feels fulfilled from eating a meal, you feel fulfilled from that meal. No, you feel full. And then fulfilled you want- is different. A feeling of fulfillment is different than feeling full. Full is a physical feeling. Fulfillment is an emotional feeling. All I heard right now is... Sounded like a helicopter in here or something. No, I get what you mean, though. I get what you mean. So, again, that I mean, your take on Crowley can be different than my take on Crowley. But my take on Crowley is this this man who's just constantly kind of floating through life, trying to find something that will anchor him in place. And then when he starts to even grasp it a little bit, he runs the other direction. Maybe he was fulfilled by living multiple lives. I see. I just, I don't think he was really, I really don't. I don't think he found any sort of fulfillment, at least not in this time. I, I feel like having multiple, like fun, sexual encounters with different women, Going to traveling, like Again, it's, meeting with it's, old like people. He's having knew. he's having some grand adventures. Don't get me wrong, adventures are good, but I don't think he is fulfilling what he believes should be a purposeful life. Oh, purposeful? No, yeah. Well, and that and that's what I mean is he's not living these lives to any conclusion. Right. He's not living these lives with any sort of fulfillment to what he believes should be a purposeful life. Right from from a young age, he's seen himself and has been talked to about, and you know he's joining the Golden Dawn. He's trying to make himself into these grand—I uh, can't think of the word—these grand 
people, right? He he wants to be one of the one of these uh, order of one of the third order, right? You know, he wants these grand purposes, right? And what he does instead is focus on these little things throughout his life, or not even focus on what he does instead is play with these little things throughout his life without giving himself any sort of like grand purpose. And I think I think we continue to see that with him skirting around obtaining his holy guardian angel. You know, he he continually makes excuses for why I can't do this. You know, he's he's fighting what he sees as a purposeful life. A guardian angel. A guardian angel, exactly. It's the it's the epitome of his life. It, it metaphor right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so in 1902, two years after the debacle of Blythe Road, a year after settling in Mexico, Crowley decides, along with a fellow mountaineer and adventurer, Eckenstein, decide to climb K2, the second tallest mountain in the world, making it to 21,407 feet before having to turn back, just 7,000 feet from the summit. Now at the time, this was the highest mountain a foreigner could climb. Right. Everest at the time was not open to anybody but the right. native people. Right. Uh, he, he and his team spent 68 days at an altitude of 21,407 feet. At the altitude? At the altitude of 21,000. Not during the trip? No. 68 days at the altitude of 21,407 feet. Wow. Yeah. That sounds mind-altering. Right? You would think so. Yeah. This is one of those times where we talk about, like, Crowley being a very impressive man. Right. This is one of those times. Right. You know, he and his team were able to accomplish these things, I think, miraculously, without the help of modern technology. But with the help of magic, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Probably with the help of magic. Yes. That's a very good point. Thank you. Now, I said in the first episode, and I'm going to say it again, Crowley was inherently a bad person. Right. During this time, he decided that the best way to keep the locals in line and motivate them was to beat them with his belt, claiming that it was necessary to keep their respect. Hmm. Yeah. So again, Crowley's not a good guy. Right. Um, after a retreat from the mountain in October of 1902, he traveled back to Paris, stopping off in Egypt for a short stay in Cairo. Okay. Yep. Again, hopping around the world. Yeah, just going everywhere. Just going everywhere. Wow. Uh, when Cal Crowley returns to Paris, he wants to, for some reason that I can't grasp, impress Mathers with the stories of his travels. He he says, I, I, I need to tell somebody who kind of understands all of the cool stuff I did. I mean, I get that. But he he hates Mathers. He thinks he's a moron. But maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's like... Let me. I, like, I'm going to be able to tell a grander tale than I lived, and he'll believe it. And I can kind of rub his face in it. Like, what'd you do, Mathers? You know, that's that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Oh, thank you. Maybe it was just a dickhead move. I, do, I don't know much, but I, I generally, I feel like I know people very well, so. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Mathers was somehow unimpressed with Crowley's life. Uh, he had also pawned a dressing case that Crowley had stored with him a few years prior. Mathers was extremely poor at this point. Uh, and this lowered his standing in Crowley's eyes. For some reason, though, Crowley was certain that Mathers was once again connected to the secret chiefs. Hmm. So he still he still bought it. Yep. You know, I, I can kind of see Crowley, like, maybe he goes, if he's poor, 
and he's still doing this stuff, there has to be a reason he's still doing this stuff, right? Maybe. Maybe, maybe he's like, he's poor, but he's still got to be talking to him because why else is he here? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, that very well could be the case. Hmm. Now, according to Crowley, Mathers also sent a vampire to seduce and kill him. Really? Yes. Crowley claims he saw this woman transform from a lustful older woman into a beautiful young woman trying to tempt him. Really? Yes. And he doesn't think liquor had anything to do with that. I Liquor, drugs, <laughs> the fact that he spent 68 days at an altitude of 21,000 feet. Could <laughs> the, be any of those things. The really old woman was a really old mountaineer mate of his on the mountain. Turned into an old woman. Turned into a young woman. Could be. <laughs> now... Crowley, knowing his life was in danger, started a magical conversation, as he called it, that caused the vampire's evil powers to be reflected back at her. Oh, yeah. How do you reflect? I don't know. A vampire's evil powers back at. I don't. I'm not magical. I don't know. But you know vampires. I do, and nothing that I know about vampires says a magical conversation with them would reflect any sort of power back at them. Right, but what what evil powers do vampires have do they have like a stare right generally yeah they could like entice you or hypnotize yeah, you. yeah like a hypnotizing stare. Yeah. stare so like maybe that so he used magical words to reflect that back at her so maybe like the hypnotizing stare could be interesting uh, yeah it's, it's kind of up in the air there's he doesn't really go into detail more than a quote-unquote magical conversation you know i bet i bet he told this to mathers and mathers was like yeah that makes sense well, no, Mathers sent the vampire after him. Oh, right. Yeah. But he didn't tell him that he... he... No. He, oh, he kinda, gotcha. As, a, after defeating the vampire, after defeating the vampire, Crowley was unsure the direction he needed to head in. He thought he may need to once again try to claim his holy guardian angel. But the conflict with Mathers kind of put him off to it. Yeah, and, and the writers thought, we'll save that for later. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. In this grand story, the writers are like, eh, we're not ready for the holy yeah, guardian angel. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna be too much too soon. Exactly. So he says he spent some more time in France before heading once again back to the lock. But again, not to complete the Abramelon ritual, <laughs> but to dabble in other forms of magic. Oh, okay. Yes. During this time, Crowley also filled around with plagiarism, uh, publishing a work of Mathers without credit to him, only adding in an uh, introduction to the story. Really? Yep. Uh, spending some time with a local woman he had met in London and brought back to the lock with him and playing pranks on the local morality society. I love the early 1900s. Right. You just meet a woman and say, hey, you want to you wanna go back with me to this shack I have by the side well, of the lake? It, it, wasn't, it was a, an estate. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, I thought he had a shack. No, it was an estate. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah, still there today. Oh, that's easier. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. If you go to Scotland, you can go to the lock. And you told you can... me you went to Ireland and you didn't hop across the pond to Scotland. I didn't to have check. time. Wow. Yeah. All right. I went Next and saw time. Holy Well. Who? A Holy Well. Oh, yeah, Holy yeah. Well. I mean, that's pretty cool. That is. That's really cool. Yeah. It sounds like something you'd like scream when you're about to like get in a car accident. Holy Well. I don't know. Maybe not. No. <laughs> <laughs> what would you scream when you're about to get in a car accident? Shit. <laughs> that's so boring. I... I it makes more sense than holy well. Well, you know, maybe it's like a like a holy well, at least I had a fulfilling life. So just just a little bit of info because I thought this was kind of funny. The yeah. prank that he played on the morality society was that, that the 
res the the area that they presided over was overrun with prostitutes. So he wrote in saying, uh, "Your neighborhood is overrun with prostitutes." And when they questioned as to why there was no evidence of prostitution, he proclaimed, "Conspicuous by its absence." <laughs> Yeah, that's the go-to. Yeah, man, Crowley was so good back in his day with that. Oh yeah, he he was a funny, funny guy. That's the, yeah. I disagree, but <laughs> I just, that's the classic. Like, you know, pr- prove that they are. I don't see him. It's like, yeah, that's rather curious. You don't <laughs> see him, isn't it? You would think that there would be prostitutes, <laughs> and the fact that you can't see them means they're only more cunning, <laughs> or they're all busy. Or they're all busy. That's my Jesus assumption. Christ. That's my Jesus assumption. Christ. Or they're all busy. The town is overrun with them. Where are they? In their bedrooms. Mm-hmm. But at that point, they're not really overrun with them. They're just kind of there. Yeah, I feel I like when you say they're... something's overrun, they're, they're typically out and about. That's an interesting social experiment. If a town had like 100 people and 100 prostitutes... You'd think that'd be overrun with prostitutes. But if they were all busy, it wouldn't really be overrun because there's not a surplus of prostitutes. I would also say there wouldn't be anything happening in that town. If all 100 are busy in a town of 100. Not a lot going on. Yeah, but I mean. All right, now this is where we take a big step forward. This is is where we take a big step forward in the story. Uh, Crowley meets his soon-to-be wife, Rose Kelly. A woman who, at the time, was betrothed to two men she had no interest in. Uh, a woman at odds with her family about everything to do with her life. And a woman who had also lied about being pregnant, taking money from her family uh, for an abortion to buy new clothes. Hmm. Yeah. Of course, Crowley, uh, his way of fixing all this was that she should marry him instead. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll fix right? you up. Yeah, you just come with me. Yeah. Now... I, I don't know if I'm completely crazy or not, but I feel like there's a lot of women throughout history with these, like, weirdos that are named Rose. I couldn't think of another one. Well, it sounds familiar. I mean, it's also a flower. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, so he said their marriage would be purely about getting her out of this predicament, and after the woods, afterwards they would part. Okay. Leaving each other uh, for their to go live their own lives. This is not, however, what happened. No, they took a mock honeymoon and ended up falling in love. Mm. They returned to the lock together and lived on his Bolskine estate, which was the name of the estate. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. Uh, he also added in during this time he had to administer a number of administrative spankings to his wife. <laughs> if. If the viewers could have seen my brother's reaction trying to say that, that's hilarious. <laughs> Just administrative spankings. spankings to his wife. Uh, he had the same <laughs> thought that he had with the uh, native Nepalians, Nepalese, the mountain climbers going up K2, to where he had to uh, teach them respect through beatings. Hmm. But... This was teaching his wife respect through spankings. Well, I mean, some women might learn I, respect from that. I One, that's a horrible statement. <laughs> I don't mean... A horrible statement, brother. I'm going to let you walk that back. I'm going to give you like uh, five seconds. All right, every... I will walk that back. What I was trying to say is some women like spankings. Yes, yeah, And they might not... That's different. They than might the... enjoy it. Not, yeah. not that... 
some women would learn if, Exa- if they yeah, don't exactly. enjoy it. Exactly. Pardon my <laughs> yeah. leaving out of words. Not even leaving out of words, just saying them wrong. <laughs> I say words wrong all the time. So yeah, I just I thought that was a very interesting thing that he added in to this portion of his life was administrative spanking. He's like, this is important. I'll this know is important. That. I, will I gotta, I gotta make sure people know this. Yeah. Uh, they decided to once again head for Paris. Uh, when they started having, uh, so this is when Crowley started having people to refer to him as Lord Bulkskine. Lord Bulkskine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just deciding to give himself a title. Yeah. Uh, from there, they traveled to Cairo. Crowley persuading the local guards to let him and Rose stay at the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid. Uh, it was here that Rose helped Crowley invoke the god Thoth. 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 Yes, one of the Egyptian gods, Thoth. Thoth? Mm-hmm. T-H-O-T-H. Thoth. Who Who would name a god Thoth? The Egyptians. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got me there. Uh, Crowley's magic was not only working... But it was growing. He read the evocation from the Grotia, and and an astral light filled the king's chamber. After this invocation, they left Cairo. Oh, I'm out of here. I'm so done. they succeeded, and then they're off for Ceylon. Okay. Uh, in Ceylon, he awoke to the sounds of Rose screaming. She was naked and hanging from the head for... Sorry. She Keep was, together, brother. She was naked and hanging overhead from the bed frame. With great difficulty, Crowley was able to pull her down as she bit and scratched him. This is when they discovered that Rose was pregnant. Okay, that makes sense. I've heard that similar story in a lot of pregnant Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Just screaming while you hang from the headboard. That's a promising sign, you know? Right? Now, I want to reiterate, all this happened... In the year 1903. Wow, okay. We're about to start the year 1904. In the early part of 1904, from Ceylon, they headed back to Europe. Okay. Okay. And I know I keep saying this, but once again, they stopped off in Cairo. Because they just continued. Cairo was the place to be, I guess. It's the place to be. So, in Cairo, Crowley went through another title change. He was now known... As the Persian prince, Choyan Khan. Persian now? Persian. Okay. Choyan Khan, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is Hebrew for the great beast. It's a moniker that he holds throughout his life. The beast, right. the great beast, the beast 666. Right. These are things that he holds to himself as like his, his title and his words. Uh, at this point, they actually seem to settle down for a little bit. Hmm. And they take a flat in Cairo near the Bolak Museum. So they went to Europe. They were going to Europe. Straight back to Cairo. Well, remember, they went to Ceylon. Yeah. And then the plan was to go to Europe. And they were like, well, let's stop over in Cairo because we haven't oh, been there in like oh, okay. two weeks. Got it. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, it's been a while, so let's go back to Cairo. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So they stop back in Cairo. They get a flat. They're near the Bolak Museum. Now, at this point, the secret chiefs had been silent. Mathers was no longer a viable connection to them, and he needed a connection to the secret chiefs to be able to establish his own magical order. Okay. Now, he started calling his wife the Quadraseer. 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 Rose, or the Quadra, 
with no knowledge of the Egyptian pantheon, went on to tell Crowley how to invoke Horus. Okay. Persuaded by Quadra, he complied with what he saw as an absurd ritual. But surprising Crowley, it was a success. Hmm. Rose was channeling the god Horus. So, I, I can just see Crowley just frustrated. Like, man, I want to invoke this god. And then he's mad. And he goes to Rose. And he's like, I'm mad. I don't know how to invoke this god. And she's like, I know. And he's like, yeah, right. She's like, no, no, watch. I'll do it right now. And then she... And then she just does something. And he's like, yeah, that worked. That worked. That yeah. worked. That's You're it. Horace. What's up, wow. Horace? You didn't even know about any of the Egyptians' religion or nothing. And you and you just did it. Good yeah. on you. Right? You must be a quadraseer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Horace told Crowley that a new age of man had arrived. And Crowley was its prophet. Crowley would preach the word of Aeon. Crowley saw this as his connection to the secret chiefs. Uh, and Rose went on to tell him, and this makes me very frustrated because I feel like the writers the took writers. a cop out here. <laughs> Rose went on to tell him that he had acquired his holy guardian angel. Oh, just like that? Just like that. He doesn't have to do the Abramelon. He doesn't have to do the Abramelon. They've been building it up this whole time. <laughs> And no Abermelon. And, and they said the Abermelon is just too... We don't know how to write it well. We're just yeah, going to skip that out. part. They took a cop out. <laughs> they did. They wrote They wrote in the Holy Garden Angel. Wow. Yep. These Tell writers you, suck. I, say, I was frustrated reading that. <laughs> when I found that out, that he didn't have to do the ritual Abermelon, and he was just like, yeah, I got it now. You know, and why is it that always... When whenever somebody has a prophecy foretold to them, it's either about their success or importance or the impending doom. It's not ever about like here's the prophecy, you suck, you're gonna ruin the world. Well, why would you tell that person? Because it's a prophecy. No, I no I get that, but at the same time, like if you're, I, I'm just I'm thinking as like an om, omniscient being. Yeah trying to convey a message to a person i'm not going to go to the person that's going to screw it up well i'm, I'm going to go to the person that's going to save it like i'm going to come down in my holy sense. light and be like yo i anoint you as my prophet to go out and stop the calamity oh, okay see i was imagining crowley kind of like pulled this prophet prophecy out like he's he he was well, seeking the prophecy you're not wrong. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. But but what but what I mean by that is, we either believe that this is real. Yes, it is real. Or it's all made up. No, it's it's real. Right. So if you go on the it's real, yeah. then Horace chose Crowley as his prophet. If it's all made up, Crowley went, "I'm the prophet," and Horace chose me. I mean, okay, so. I think it can be a little of both, right? Like maybe, maybe Crowley, maybe it's real, but Crowley also is just like, I'm the prophet. Then it isn't real. But if I you, mean, if you proclaim yourself the prophet with no backing, it's not real. Like if I, if I, I could say I'm a prophet right now, but I could say that Twadalada, no, the god of magic, spoke to me and made me his prophet. 
Wow, that's awesome. Are you going to start a cult? I am. A religious order? Yeah, it's going to be called Twaddledaw. Twaddledaw? Yeah. How do you spell that? <laughs> I can't get into it right now. <laughs> I'm not allowed. That is, Twaddledaw uh, told me. You need me. to be on the seventh level to exactly. learn how to spell Twaddledaw. You're, you're on the second level right now. I'm a, I haven't even done anything. Yeah, you get to start on the second level. Oh, well, I'm speaking to you. That's, yeah. Oh, okay. That makes yeah, sense. Once you engage with Twaddledaw, you hit the second level. Let's go. <laughs> Twaddledaw. What my point was, brother, was that just because we're saying magic is real, doesn't that necessarily that mean that all every aspect of the magic existence that he did was real? Because like he lied to Mathers about the scrap in the with the second order and the rebellion or whatever, right? So like we know that he lies. So maybe he's being real about some stuff, and maybe being the prophet of Horus was a lie. So I think you can have both. I, I don't. I still don't think. You, I mean, it's we can debate this all night long. I still don't think you can have both. I think we have. I think to continue this story, we have to go on the assumption that Crowley was the prophet of Horus. Okay, got you. So let's go with that. All right. Whether or not I believe that is a completely different story. Right, but he, but okay, but he is the prophet. He's the you. prophet. Okay. Uh, so Crowley saw this as his connection to the secret chiefs. Uh, he acquired his holy guardian angel. His holy guardian angel's name was Awas. Or okay. Awas. A-I-W-A-S-S. You guys pronounce it how you want. I'm going to go with Awas. Iwas. Iwas? Why would it be Iwas? A-I. Like a... Like a... Like a what? Well, it starts with A-I. Hair. A... Hair? No. So it'd be like Airwas. But there's no A-was. R. So Awas. That's why I said Awas. Why do I think it'd be I? I have no idea. So <laughs> Hawaii, Hawaii. All right, let's continue past this. <laughs> okay. Now I think this is very interesting that Awas was one of the secret chiefs. Really, Awas was a secret chief of the grade of Ipimus, hmm. the highest order of secret chiefs. So not only did Crowley not have to do anything to get this holy guardian angel, he got one of the Secret chiefs of the highest order. So there's different orders of the chiefs. Uh, there's apparently different orders of the chiefs. Interesting. This is all very convenient. Isn't it, though? This is all very yeah. convenient. Especially with the fact that he got one of the highest orders of the yeah. secret chiefs by doing literally nothing. His wife did not know how anything about the Egyptian religion. And she summoned Horus. Yep. Horus made him... His prophet. Yep. Gave him his guardian angel. Yep. And then he got the highest order of the secret chiefs. Yep. These writers suck. <laughs> right? They're not doing well. <laughs> These writers suck. So after learning this, Crowley sat in his room at his desk for four hours each day. As the musical voice of Awas spoke to him over his left shoulder for three days, dictating to him the first major step forward in Thelema, the book of the law. This is Crowley starting to craft his religion. Right. I think that is a good place to end today's episode. Okay. Getting into the book of the law, kind of going into how Crowley starts to grow this with Rose, uh, his eventually his eventual part from Rose. He's going well, to spoilers. I spoil. I know. I'm going to give some stuff away. Jeez. But he's eventually going to part from Rose. He's eventually going to find another seer. 
So there's a lot more that we're going to go into. And like I said, I really think this is going to encompass at least two more episodes. Okay. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think? Tell me, tell me your thoughts on this one. This, uh, you know, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this story time. This was fun. There was a, like you said, there was a lot of interesting stuff there, that went on. There was a just lot a lot of stuff that happened. I just feel like the writers could have been better at the end. There, they kind of crammed it all in. They, they really you know? did. I, I think, I think if we're talking like a series, this is like, uh, they worried this about is being like canceled. season two. Yeah, they're trying to get a bunch of stuff crammed in at the very yeah, last. Yeah, and they don't minute. want to get cram- canceled, so they're trying to put every everything they've been putting off. They're trying to put it in yeah, to exactly. get you interested. Exactly. Yeah, Crowley was well well ahead of his time. <laughs> With his life as a sitcom, yeah, yes, exactly yeah, for sure. No, but overall, yeah, no, it, this was this was a this was a lot of fun. Um, this was really interesting stuff. Like I said before, um, I'm looking forward to the next episode. I think we might try and break it up, maybe, and throw in a couple other. That's what I was thinking as well. Episodes. Maybe maybe in a couple of weeks we'll do something that isn't Crowley. Okay. Uh, and then we'll come back to Crowley with our, uh, well, this is fourth, so fifth one will be something else, and we'll come back to Crowley with our sixth episode. Oh, I thought you meant fifth Crowley episode. I was like, so we're just going there. It's going to be five episodes we're of just, Crowley. Yeah, five episodes of Crowley. No, I, I really hope, and I think I'll be able to get it done in four. Uh, well, there's no rush. If, if we got to take the time and get the good story out, that's fine. We'll just, you know, we'll sprinkle in some other episodes. and. There's a lot more that's going to happen. We haven't even, we've, we haven't even touched on the ritual sex magic at this point, and there's so much of it. Man, and I've been writers, man. I've been waiting for the ritual sex magic. I know they. That's really, what I'm here for. They really play it up in the beginning, and just you know, it's going to take at least until season three before you really get into it. You know, Game of Thrones got it right. They like first episode, they throw you straight into the sex stuff. Okay, <laughs> they they know their audience, and they and they get you on the hook. And then this one, they just. They're like talking about sex, but not doing the ritual they, sex yeah, magic. Just, That's they, what people care about. They just keep drawing it out, man. They're going to keep drawing it out. Like I said, season three, we'll finally get there. All right. Well, stay tuned for season three of Aleister Crowley. It's been a blast. Uh, thank you for joining us.